chat the best anime podcast on the internet not even active an active god can stop us from recording this podcast as we're uh, here on a s- sunday uh and our usual podcast service has been shut down by yes. a hurricane but hey neither rain nor snow nor sleet or however that motto goes can no, stop all move the- uh, yes. yeah <laughs> can't even we be are... stopped by vash the stampede <laughs> humanoid typhoon yeah, so not not the right season for it yet, but appreciate. We're almost it. there, right. almost there. But uh, yeah, they did actually anyway. show concept art uh, that confirms that Wolfwood will be in the anime. So sure, cool. Yes, we we will have plenty of time to talk about Trigun another day. But for this episode, uh, we're oh, we got a barn burner for you guys. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're in a, we're in a weird place where this is t- technically, I guess, the time we would normally be doing our season wrap up, and in some ways, that's kind of what this is for the summer season. Even though most of the shows on here still have one episode left, also we were not watching that much. Not a lot. Not a whole lot survived to the end of the season anyway. Yeah. At least uh, with this particular group we have on right now, so. There's that. Uh, there's a couple of uh, big things that Netflix dropped that I think we need to talk about while the uh, while they're hot at the moment, and we will certainly be talking about more throughout the next season. And uh, yeah, so a bit of a hybrid, I think, of things to talk about. But I guess technically, mm-hmm. this is our last kind of official opportunity to talk about the summer. 2022 season so yeah i mean yeah. on some level we we have joked about it many times but for better or worse uh, seasons basically don't mean anything anymore in anime right with the advent mm-hmm. of netflix streaming and and you know web streaming and and net series and such it's just yeah they they still shows can just air whenever they want to now <laughs> i feel like I mean, this season I, I, in, in particular i would say that japan oh sorry joe go on no, I was going to say this season in particular, I feel like every episode of the podcast, we had our core shows, but then we were bringing in somebody else to say, talk about another show that just came out like, <laughs> right, you know, like every week there was still another show coming out. Um, so I, like, there's still like a core of summer shows, but then it was just like, who knows when some of these things are happening. I mean, I, I would say that the only reason that the traditional season style has persisted this long is Japan's sort of resistance to like because in like here in the West, like linear TV is basically done, right? Except for news and live sports, that's about it. Um everything that's anything debuts on a streaming service now. So I I feel like it that is just like a preview of where anime will be in a few years. Yeah. I, and in a way, I mean, it is I probably still a convenient way of like timing productions and everything. But yeah, I think it's only going to get more all over the place as time goes on. But anyway, we got quite a bit to talk about. And before we get started, I'll introduce everybody. I'm Jell. I'm joined by Iroh. I'm not dead yet. Still with us. Uh, we're joined by G. What's good, everybody? And for two episodes in a row, we've got Zig with us. Yes, now the official morning period is over. I can talk shit about anything and everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, 
The, the tears of the, the kingdom have been dried. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> Still can't believe played. Nintendo decided not to stream that stream. Uh, is that not the, the most a very Nintendo-like solution? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was fine to stream it everywhere else, right? Because uh, there would be no way that anyone in the UK could have watched it. This is a very look. If you're telling me that Nintendo, if you're telling me that Nintendo don't understand how the internet works, I will 100% <laughs> believe you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, based yeah. on what I've been hearing people say about Splatoon Three, which is that hey, it's a really good game cobbled together by maybe some of the worst netcode imaginable. <laughs> that seems to hold true. They're yeah. still trying to figure it out, but. Yeah. Anyway, we got things to talk about, and before we get into the anime stuff, I did want to touch on what has been the hot news topic in the anime industry, I guess, the past week. Uh, I don't know if your average anime fan knows or cares about any of this, but I feel like if you're listening to an obscure anime podcast, uh, you probably have heard about this, so... uh, I'm talking about the news that came out about Crunchyroll, essentially refusing to uh, talk or negotiate with the Screen Actors Guild, uh, which is, of Uh course, the union that uh, represents actors. Um, I I think it's important to emphasize at this point as well, it's not even that they refuse to recognize a union or like to negotiate. They refuse to literally have a a sit-down meeting and talk about the possibility of unionizing. Yes. So this this came out because the voice actor that plays Mob in Mob Psycho 100 put out a video in which he essentially announced that he was probably not coming back. And it was confirmed later that he's not coming back for season three um, because he put out even the suggestion that Crunchyroll uh, take a meeting with with the union and interestingly, he mentioned later on that he was even willing to do this season non-union and that Crunchyroll is not like lowballing him or anything on this. It was just a matter of, you know, hey, can we have a meeting? And rather than meeting, they were just like, well, we look forward to uh, recasting Mob Psycho 100. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's this, this is the really fucked up thing about it, right? Is that, yeah, like they were, the, the voice actors were even willing to do this job non-union because... You know, and let's, let's you know, let us be clear, right? Like, when we are saying stuff like for the love of the craft or for the love of the game, we are speaking about an industry that is inherently run on passion by passionate people, right? Like, these tend to be people who do these jobs because they genuinely love it. And, and they deserve, it. yes, right. and they deserve to be properly compensated for it. And yet they are still also willing to compromise because of how mm. much they appreciate the craft. And even then, Crunchyroll's not willing to play ball. Yeah. So, yeah. like, they just recently purchased Funimation, or, like, acquired Funimation, and Funimation has their, like, whole in-house dubbing situation, right? Like, in Texas. Yeah, down in Dallas. And oh, apparently yeah. they invested in that texas-based studio probably the whole thing's that whole thing screams to me of like we spent a lot of money on this and good or bad we're going to use it sort of uh mm-hmm. situation yeah uh right. as and- this is also dug up the the you know the news that came out a couple months ago about them insisting on ending remote recording and bringing everything in-house in texas right. except but- 
except when they don't want to. Like there have been a couple right. of dubs that recently have used high profile LA actors. Right, but I'm um, sure so... you know the, the their goal is to try to bring it in house, or at least that's right. What yes, yeah. But, but yeah. I'm saying that like there are there are plenty of holes to carve out exceptions. You know, this is not a hard right. and fast rule, which is important because. The sort of excuse they used for recasting uh, Carl McFarley is that, like, oh, we have to use Texas area voice yes, actors. in the in the very disgusting sort of PR uh, machine, uh-huh. you know, d- disaster. Blast. Yes, yeah. blast that they put out in response to, you know, but I think that was I think that was actually in directly response to ANN, if I recall. Um, yeah, they 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 were like, oh yes, because of the you know logistics of recording or whatever in the new studio we're gonna have to recast or whatever and you know it's it was it's just fucking gross it really yeah it's all and yeah you know the thing i want to say actually is i mean this situation sucks for the reasons that it it already obviously sucks but i think it also sucks because now there's a lot of voice actors who probably love the work they do that are not that are now caught in a really shitty uncomfortable position because like let's be real like union or not being a voice actor is not exactly a glamorous gig right like like any creative profession you know as i can attest sometimes you take a job because you you need the job right and i I guess i want to i want to be clear you know look if to any of the, you know, not that they're listening to this, but to any of the voice actors who, you know, decide, you know, this whole situation sucks, but getting to play a role in a high-profile anime like Mob Psycho 100 is still worth it for my career. I, I don't blame those people at all because, like, no, right. it's it's a tough situation for everybody, and like and, sometimes, and it's worth pointing out that SAG-AFTRA, which is the specific section of the Screen Actors Guild for voice actors, um, it hasn't declared. It hasn't declared that you cannot take Crunchyroll jobs, even though it is a non-union house, and you know there's in some yeah. professions you are not meant to take non-union work while you are right. in the union. I think I think that's kind of pointing to the the other kind of factor in here is trying to move voice acting into a higher level of, I guess, legitimacy, if you will, right. because every other you know most other TV productions, movies, things all are union, like they have to be. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's only fair that the, uh, you know, especially as anime continues to be more and more mainstream and make a lot more money, uh, you know, right. why shouldn't they have the same treatment as other, you know, right. people this in is, the industry? So, right, this is yeah, particularly ahead, gross coming on the back of uh, the fact that Crunchyroll was just recently acquired for what was it 1.2 billion dollars something yeah like they got that. a lot of money to spend yeah it yep. turns out you know when your parent company is like anaplex <laughs> and then indirectly sony it yeah. turns out that you really do have deep pockets you know and i mean i i think i mean for god's sake i, th- I think one of the the voice actors for uh or the du- for the one of the dubbers for um i think it's jujutsu kaisen yeah, so i was about to just about to bring this up that, yeah, bring it up. That dude. movie made like thirty million dollars in the United States, and the, some of the dub actors were talking about how they were paid one hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, for, like for the entire movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah I mean, not, I mean, like, like, <laughs> yeah. this this has just had like a bunch of longtime anime voice actors come out of the woodwork and basically say that like the only reason they keep doing anime is for the love of the game. So right. to speak, yeah. that it is like, not 
it is not a viable way to mm-hmm. make a living. As like it leverage con appearances and stuff to, like, right. to get by. But like that, like it's absolutely unacceptable in this day and age that that mm-hmm. work should be paying those sort of ways. And you know, combine this with the reports from a few months back of the kind of like poverty level wages that Crunchyroll pays its subtitlers as well. Yeah, like everybody. Yeah. And and like you you get the impression of like a company that is raking it in because make no mistake, Crunchyroll's making a lot of money. Yeah. And, you know, is just kind of cutting costs to the absolute bone. And that's yeah, you that's know, bad. You know, when you go try to cancel your subscription and they say your action will hurt the enemies too. Right. And on I, some level, actually, maybe we should even get into that a little bit, is like on some level, you almost have to ask yourself how much, you know, if you're subscribed to Crunchyroll, how much yeah. of that money is even going into the hands well, of, I don't even mean the studio itself, but even the dubbers, the subtitlers, all the back-end stuff that is Yeah, I mean, like the, the people who do, make. like, the video mastering, you know, all right. of that kind of stuff. Like, and how also, much are they even seeing of your yeah. subscription at this point? And, and at that point, is it even worth it? And and it's even more weird because like remember Crunchyroll started as a pirate site. Yeah. Like yeah. Crunchyroll's <laughs> origin is like fucking like we little, ripped off all the shit. Or whatever, like, right? Yeah, they try so, to they'll try to paper that over, anime, but yeah, we, we, yeah, we old heads remember the truth. <laughs> and and so it it's it's so weird, you know. I mean like look. It wasn't acceptable 20 years ago, but at least there you could beg off and say that anime was like a super niche thing and you needed your razor-thin margins, you know. But, like, Crunchyroll is a big business, you know. Crunchyroll is bigger than a lot of movie studios at this point when you're valued at $1.2 billion. Yeah, I mean, you know? we're we're going to talk about it in a little bit here, but we are now, you know, we are now seeing anime series that are, like single-handedly turning the tide on the perception of like billion dollar franchises (laughs) yes like um yeah yeah and you know there have been a lot of people raising that question of well you know if my money is not going towards supporting the industry like it's supposed to then what am i paying for and you know a lot of people are talking about canceling accounts i think uh you know as always, this becomes the the balance of, you know, where do you make your stand for? Yeah, you you got to draw your own line for your personal values versus you know there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. Um, you know, right. I, I mean, it's not I, like I it's say, not like <laughs> like it's not like Crunchyroll wasn't owned by an evil corporation before this, <laughs> right, uh, right. you know, <laughs> and quite frankly, had you know this conversation come up you know even a couple years ago at any point during their time with AT&T and Sony would they probably I'm assuming they probably would have done the same thing but you know it's 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 another it's opening another wound here that you know makes people question what they're what they're paying for definitely yeah I, I will point out that I guess just in case for people who are like not as familiar with like the monetization of how anime makes money if you are the type of fan who your number one priority is just that you want your dollars put in to go directly to the studio. Buy the merch. Yes, buy merchandise. <laughs> Merchandising is where studios make their real money. You know, if you if you like yeah. Gundam, buy Gunpla. If you like 
idol master or love life by the girl figures you know what i mean like that's... by the gacha games <laughs> yes <laughs> well, you are literally giving them for... money for nothing there uh, yeah. that's actually gonna, that's probably like directly donate if you want to direct make direct donations yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Play, the gotcha play, play love life play the gotcha and treat it as a, a as a kofi like tip yeah. i mean but kind of like to extend this point to a slightly more serious thing is that like crunchyroll is now powerful enough that it's appearing on the production committee of many yes. anime and like you know one of the few sources of revenue for studios and production committees directly from the shows themselves because you know you've got tv advertising stuff but that's a that's a fraction of a fraction you know overseas streaming rights are a big source of money that come directly from the show you know and by basically cornering the market you know crunchyroll is beginning to establish dominance over that form from you know literally from the first moment of production to the finished product so you know i mean look like it's convenient to have everything all in one place but there are consequences to that and uh you know it turns out when there's a monopoly you can do shit like say fuck off union and stuff yeah i think um i have a lot of thoughts about the monopoly thing as well because i feel like that's always been a problem but yes it's much worse um now that you know it's the the two biggest streaming services are have combined together but um yeah and you know, poor High Dive. High Dive has been getting a lot of shows. I think uh, that has been a result of that. But they are also finally High Dive were stronger. They <laughs> could protect us. They have yeah. a business relationship with Sentai, right? Yeah, something like that. Um, and weren't Sentai they, recently sold? To they, I'm not sure, but right stuff was sold. Which was up, really up, and, up prior that, that to might be what I was thinking. Prior to the Funimation merger, they were not getting like any new shows. And then once the merger happened, they've gotten quite a few. Like, I mean, they had, you know, like uh, the season they had like Call of the Night, which was a pretty fairly high profile one. You know, like they've they've had and they've had a couple others. So, you know, I just wish their service wasn't awful. Um, that's the thing. There's, like, always, there's always the specter of Netflix working in the background, obviously. But yeah, I think they're kind of the big dog at this point, which ironically, apparently they use union dubs. But that's I'm not going to give netflix any credit for anything so um just saying if, if if even netflix can do it um you know maybe we should be rethinking that uh but yeah situation sucks and uh you know i think we i think it's high time we officially remove the glorio blog does not endorse piracy uh <laughs> asterisk is it finally uh, time I, i'm not well, gonna i'm not gonna say we do endorse it i'm just gonna say maybe it's time we get rid of that disclaimer uh look, the western western anime fandom was born out of piracy and at some point you can't you know you can't uh, leave your roots behind. Entirely. You got. You got to come home sometimes, I guess. You can't so, yeah. stop me, guys. I'm opening yeah. up the eighth gate. I mean, look, I, in, I put in, out a new APB on Miami Mike. I mean, look, <laughs> in, <laughs> I've heard. I've I mean, heard of this. I've heard of this thing called Naya that the kids are talking about. Yeah, no, <laughs> it was in that new Resident Evil show. Huh? <laughs> yes. uh, but in all seriousness, I mean, like we have always covered material that is blatantly pirated on the blog because we cover Tokusatsu, and that has never had a legitimate. Yeah. Uh, way well, to obtain it in that, that's a whole nother discussion of, yeah, anyway. right, that's a whole nother discussion I'm, of like i'm saying you know like 
that stuff like that culture yeah. is still there you know it yes. works below of course. the surface and it, it and, will never go anywhere yeah so and i'm just it's, saying that yeah. you know crun- crunchy th- their grip is perhaps not quite as tight as they would like let's say yeah. all right well yeah. let's you move know, on to something yeah. more we gotta, positive we gotta we gotta stick it to the corpo yes <laughs> there you go there's our there's our through line here yep Wake so, the fuck up, up, samurai! <laughs> we got a city to burn. Oh my god! Let's let, let's talk about some Ugh. new anime. Uh, for the record, we did, if you recall, in our fall preview way back when, we did mention this because I wasn't sure where to put it because it's technically started in September. But uh, we're talking about Cyberpunk Edge Runners, which came out on Netflix uh, this week. Was it? Two weeks, two weeks ago, week? I think. Two, two weeks Gel, ago, I thought this was a season a finale podcast. I I already gave that whole speech in the beginning. I know. Yes, You're right. uh, but no. Th- so this came out here on the back end of this season. So seasons don't matter. Um, uh-huh. This, of course, is the long-awaited uh, anime loosely based around. Well, I would say it's in the same universe as the Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. I would not say loosely. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm surprised okay. by how f- like faithful to the game slash <laughs> RPG it is. Okay, that's that's fair, I suppose. Um, I mean, th- this this was announced like before the game came out, right? So like, oh, yeah. you, you should probably say what it is. Uh, oh, I thought I said okay. Well, it's Cyberpunk Edge Runners yeah. is the, <laughs> the title of the anime, which yes. is Studio Triggers Cyberpunk Edge yes. Runners. Uh-huh. Thank you this- for that because. Okay, look, I get it. This is a weirdly specific rant, but I have noticed on a lot of Western games journalist beats, they have been referring to it as CDPRs, Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Mm. And okay. I shit you not, I literally read an article that did not even say the word Studio Trigger even once in its review of Cyberpunk Edge Runners. And I mean, like, I. Like literally had state like uh, sentences in the review like CDPR really takes the 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 visual uh, flourish of the game to a whole next level in the anime and I'm like that's not them <laughs> yeah that's I trigger mean, I mean like this is just a long tradition like you don't see people who are talking about Toei Animation's GI Joe do you. That's from a different, uh, <laughs> a different, different era. Yes, I, I'm being facetious. Toy a much different era. Opening to Thundercats. Yeah, but yes. um, the the thing I would say about that is that, like, I suspect those sites are like the super mainstream sites that are appealing to people who have heard of Cyberpunk 2077, but don't know and don't care who Studio Trigger or yeah. you know. It's weird because I I feel are. like. It's weird because I feel like even like the most mainstream video game websites cover anime now. Like this should be like, I don't know. Right, but in in a very broad way, you know. Yeah, but I mean, this is I mean, this is about as you know mainstream as triggers ever going to get here. I guess like right, I would have a more have a greater understanding of anime because if you're covering games or covering Japanese games, whereas if you're like a mainstream media website. You just cover shit that's on Netflix, and so don't know, you know. Yeah, right. I think to a lot of people, Edge Runners is not a trigger anime; it is a Netflix anime. Yeah. Right. Yes. Well, anyway, that aside, 
Uh, we, we've decided to pace it out. There's 10 episodes and we're, we're doing one a week as if it were a normal release. So I think, Zig, I, you're still at one episode, but the rest of us have watched two. No, no, I've seen two now. Oh, you, okay, so we've okay. all seen up to episode two. And uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, I like <laughs> this show. I like, so. I, I, I think I am, it's... A, oh, you first, Jay. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I, I'll just say, I think when they originally announced they were going... This was... Imbaishi or Trigger's next big project overall. Mm. I think was this announced at the same time as Dinazenon and um No, yeah. this so it was announced was, shortly this, before this was, Dinazenon started airing. No, this was announced in a Cyberpunk 2077 event. Okay, okay. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Or like yeah, yeah. some but, sort of games thing where right. in their Cyberpunk segment, and then they were like, and we're doing an anime with Studio Trigger, and we all just went like what? Yeah, so that, that's actually what I want to get is. I think at the time, we were all like, wow, I guess uh, that's a year or two of Trigger's uh, uh, career down the drain, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, I think what we saw anime. it as... I think what we all saw it as was we will take this enormous paycheck and give up yes. a year of of our art in return for financial stability, right? But, but yeah. it turns out that I, I think... At least, okay. Again, you know, a clear. To be clear, we've only watched the first two episodes. I think Edge Runners does a better job of evoking the cyberpunk like vibe than the game does by a long shot. Absolutely, I, I would broadly agree. I, uh, having, I having also played agree. the game. Uh, I yeah. I think it is difficult. I think, however, it is easier to evoke that. Um, that sort of atmosphere in a non-interactive piece of right. media because you have control over things like tone True. and mood. Right. I can't. Nobody's going to get on a motorcycle and then shoot into the sun in this show, right? Would be pretty cool <laughs> if they did, though. Let's be honest. Uh, well, I, so yeah, I mean, if we're if we're I comparing think... to the if we're comparing to the game, like, um, you know, for the record, I played a good portion of the game before it crashed out and mm-hmm. i got frustrated and stopped i <laughs> right. i don't not a big fan of the game however there are aspects of it that i did like and like per, which was particularly the the, the night city setting uh-huh. and and like i could see like glimpses of like this could be like a really great setting and i feel like the anime so far is tapping doing a much better job tapping into mm-hmm. that yeah, so I, I think the thing which has surprised me the most is how relatively hard the story is. As in, like it is a fairly hard cyberpunk story. You know, they're not is... pulling any uh, punches with it, right? Like... Yeah, like because I, I think you know when when you have Hiroyuki Imaishi, who is the director of this project and who directed Panty and Stocking Gurren Lagann, you know, he's I would say that he is broadly more known for being comedic that more than being serious if that makes sense even when his works are serious they tend to be the sort of very grand operatic over the top style of seriousness and i i think there's a lot of like dumb sight gags and stuff like the people being jerked off by cyber on a holes and stuff like that but (laughs) but i think overall these first two episodes i've been surprised by how kind of like grim and dirty the whole thing i I think they're i i just love how fantastic of a tone piece the first two episodes are uh, you know, we, we should probably get we should we should probably summarize the story just a little bit uh, for context. Yeah. So, Cyberpunk Edge Runners uh, is about a, a I guess a teenager named David Martinez who uh, lives with his single mother, 
who is a first responder uh, who is struggling to afford the tuition to send David to uh, Arasaka Academy. Uh, In in the cyberpunk universe, Arasaka is sort of the de facto megacore. And to be able to attend their corpo corpo sponsored school is sort of considered the fast track to to making it in Night City. But of course, uh, he's but, a street guy, and so I have nobody there likes him because they're all Silver Spoon Corpo types. Right. You know, he is the kid from the streets. He is there on, if not scholarship, then he is certainly there on some kind of, like, you know... Outreach program or something. Yes, token I, outreach program. They do mention sorts. he is very smart, right? Like, at some point, like, he's... Right, like, he might... has the... He, 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 he has, you know, they, they keep alluding to this idea that David has the intelligence and the wit and the cleverness to to be as good a corpo as anybody for, <laughs> but not for all that means right. but. but he's not into it he's he's right he, he's a punk you know he's yeah, a punk it, it he, is, he hates the system he hates the people around him right like they, they they make it very clear that getting into arasaka academy and succeeding in arasaka academy is primarily his mother's dream not not his and i think the thing that really bowled me over, especially with episode one, which is mainly introducing the character, his backstory, and then the inciting events that lead him down the path of becoming an edge runner, is how like delightfully banal his tragic backstory is. Yeah, he's like, like one in millions, right? Like, like, like he has failed by the system at every possible turn, right? right. Like what? <laughs> And that's the foundation of cyberpunk, right? The yes. tragedy of cyberpunk is you have become a cog in a gigantic machine which does not think and does not feel. It just consumes you and spits right. you up and, out the And other the side. moment you cannot keep up, the moment you fall even slightly out of sync, you get grinded up by the gears. And that's exactly what happens to David in the first episode. Like, mm-hmm. they reveal that his mother uh, basically steals a very high-end bit of cybernetics from uh, the scene of a crime because she's a first responder right. and is likely intending to sell it off to afford David's tuition. And and there's some and, vague, there's some vague hints that perhaps this is something she has been doing on the low for a while. Right. You know, but which is how really, she is affording to send him to this super prestigious yes. school. And, and I think the thing that's really cool in the first episode is that the inciting incident that leads David down his path is not because of, that piece of cybernetics. It's right. not like, oh, you took the secret artifact and now the whole world's after you. No, it's just that he gets caught in the middle of a completely separate crime. Mm-hmm. A crime that is just the basic tapestry of Night City. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his, if you were playing the game, you would have shot up a random car just for kicks. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and like, you know, uh, and it's, I think that that's just, that's just I, I love is that Every single thing that happens to David in that episode, like, cascades on top of each other until it escalates into its, like, most tragic, like, logical conclusion. And the true, like, the banal tragedy of it is that if even one of these systems actually functioned or worked, like... Or rather, they do function and work, but they function and work precisely how they are designed to do, which is as machines for the extrication of profit. Rather yes. than for the well-being of the people involved. That that is a better way to put it. Yeah, and 
I just think that's really cool. Like, I, yeah, I, I mean, look, yeah. for all we know, David is going to go down the path and we're going to find out he is, in fact, the chosen one or something. Episode two already hints at the classic, like the way you make a cyberpunk protagonist special is you give them unusually high resilience to cybernetics, which uh-huh. is uh, what yeah. they are hinting at with David. But like, even th- that's not like a, you know, that's not a prophecy. You know, it, it is not like he was born special, right? It is a... Like everything else about this dude's life, it is a statistical fluke, and I'm, I mean, like I said, I am I'm impressed by how far they take the like when they deliver his mother's ashes to him in a canister out of a vending machine. You God, know, that's some, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like weird. that is yeah. some. It is one of the more believable descents into sicko mode we have seen in in a while. You know, you right. really believe that this dude wants to just lose, like, step off the edge and lose everything. He is tired of being nice. Right. Yeah, yes. I mean, <laughs> it turns out it turns out the Franz Ferdinand OP is actually super galaxy-brained. Ah, uh, yeah. yes. The very good OP. Uh, but uh, yeah, and, like, I think also, you know, it maintains Imishi's traditional strengths. You know, he's, like, he's anim- action directing is fantastic. His characters and, you know, all of the crew around him, they do terrific mm-hmm. smeary, like, cartoonish animation that works really well. You know, there is clearly a ton of money being thrown at the show right. you know, there's terrific fact, cg there's incredibly detailed busy backgrounds yes. you know, the character animation is top notch they have clearly had time they've clearly had money they've clearly had their best people on it i, I think it is too cool. uh this is like you know talking about the setting kind of not pulling any punches here it does feel like a good vehicle for imaishi to let out his uh sex and violence at mock speed in nice control bursts <laughs> yeah uh, and it works. I think it goes very well with his um, his sort of natural state of being. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, this is a like from what I've been able to gather, like the the cyberpunk universe is a fairly like schlocky, quote unquote, yes. low cyberpunk, if that makes sense. And so, kind of like yeah. the liberal helpings of violence and femme fatales and all that stuff, you know, they play. And you know, it, it's clear that the the story and the production have been adapted to the strengths of the studio, basically. Yeah. I actually really do want to give shout-outs to two uh, specific like animation techniques that Amaishi uses in Cyberpunk that are really visually impressive, but also in some ways holds true to what perhaps Amaishi's secret greatest talent, which is being able to save money in very cool ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, the right, first yes. one is uh, the nature of David's prosthesis itself, the one that his mother stole, which in the game is called Sandavistin. And mm-hmm. it is basically a spine transplant that hyper accelerates your perception of time. And this basically in the game means you get uh, you get bullet time, right? You right. can slow down time. And that's kind of what it is functionally in the game is just you slow down time. But obviously, slow-mo is kind of a hard effect to pull off in non-interactive media because done poorly, it can just like bring the pace to a screeching halt. So instead, what Amaishi does to portray Sandavistin is that the animation plays in real time, but what you see are all of the after images of David's movement, like in a trail behind him. And the thing that's really cool is that, hey, this looks really slick. But B, it's actually not that hard of a technique to pull off because all they're doing is overlaying their in-betweens on top of each other. Right, I was yeah. g- you're just leaving the cells on the box, basically, and right? It, but, but it looks so cool. Yeah, it looks fantastic. <laughs> it looks yeah. right. You know. um, 
And and a more minor one is just I really love that they keep reusing the same shots in the first two episodes as like David goes about his life in Night City. Right. Like the that's first time a, he's like that's a classic way of that's a classic way of um of emphasizing ennui uh ennui in in visual yes. mediums. Though, right? You just keep repeating the same shots again and it sort of becomes this like routine this sort of my point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. But so, yes, it, yeah, it's I... really well done. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. you know, we're we're only two episodes in. We've got mm. eight more episodes to go, which we'll be spacing out over the next couple of weeks. Right. Mm. I'm uh you know, I, I do want to mention I uh, I also very much did like episode two and that whole like I don't know what you call dream the sequence end, thing the in the end, end. The, where that ends with the big, uh, the, the words splashing on the screen. I forget the exact yeah. words, but uh, yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff. So um, I am, um, I made a joke that it's basically the you're fired sequence from back to the future too. Um, yes. Yeah, it's pretty good uh, it, in a way. Yes. Um, it's pretty good. So yeah. And, and to speak to what we were alluding to earlier, like now, Every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there see watches this anime. It goes well. The anime is really cool. I better check out the game. Uh, the, yeah. the game had its highest ever concurrent player count today. By the way, yes, marketing so. works. Recording. Yeah, it's <laughs> because that's the thing, right? It's like here's the here's the hard red pill about Cyberpunk. All these patches, all these additions to the game they've they've supported after its launch have not fundamentally changed what that game is. Yeah, so I'll I'll, I'll admit, even I was like, huh, I wonder if I should go back and finish it now that the game is, like, working. But then I was like, as I I was like, (laughs) I mean, I've already paid for it, right? But as I was um, starting to remember actually playing the game, I'm like, oh, right. The technical problems were not the big issue. <laughs> like no, like, it's like the technical the bad problems, dialogue. It's like a it's it's a pretty like I would say mediocre at best video game. Um, mm-hmm. it, with with a very pretty setting, and I'm like, yeah, I, I I'm not gonna get what I'm looking for going back into that. I don't think yeah. so. You know your your mileage may vary, but don't don't go you thinking don't that just equip the you can equip take this, get the senders from the game and equip it in a menu. Yeah. Just just don't okay, go thinking actually, you're gonna. Just, don't watch the anime. Don't watch the anime and think you're gonna go into the game getting well, the same yes. experience. I was like, Ira, do you actually want to get into that a little bit? As uh, we we both played the game, but I think you were the only one who actually beat the game, correct? I did. Just like, do you want to get into actually a great microcosm of the difference between right, the anime it's and like, the game? At the, end, at the you know at the beginning of the second episode, he's like, "Trip me up, doc. Put the." spine in me and like okay it's like you know in the game i want to put in i want to stick 30 implants in my body i go to the shop and i open the interface and i drag and drop I slot all the shit into my shit and then yeah. i pay up my eddies and i leave and you know now i can double jump and <laughs> and shit yeah, right that's it no no so, consequence no side effects whereas david goes in and you get this r- really horrific quick cut of his spine being sliced out of his body and yeah, this other thing being strapped it's on. Really and his kind of jacket shockingly is explicit. like, like bloody stained for the rest of the episode. Right. And then he like passes out because he's not taking his immunoblockers because the doc didn't give them to him because figured this 
punk kid's gonna be dead anyway and i didn't take no immunoblockers in the video game <laughs> right like I, I i think it's just like micro elements like that immediately illustrate just how much better the anime is at evoking that tone than the game yeah right it it's it's actually playing with the setting and the themes whereas the, i feel like the video game is like a kind of mediocre well, open world shooter park, that has a nice version, like. has a nice coat of paint on it right mm-hmm. like so anyway nobody wants to live in cyberpunk they want to go to the cyberpunk theme park and ride the rides <laughs> yes <laughs> Fair enough. i mean that also one of the big problems with modern cyberpunk media in general is that we have forgotten it is meant to be dystopic so yeah know. well yeah, I, I'm not going to get too much more into the game. We don't have time right, for that. Yeah, yeah, right. But yes, it, it does miss that point often. I'll, I'll share the one final thing that I was thinking of uh, how they had they had to have a um, streamer mode for the music so that it turns the music off when you're streaming so you don't get copyright right. struck when you're on Twitch. And I'm like, that is not understanding how cyberpunk works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is highlighting, that's highlighting that uh, we are in the worst cyberpunk future. Uh, so anyway. Let's oh, hey, the anime's cool. The anime's cool. When they ride in the moon buggy, they do the up left up thing. They do. They do, in fact, do the up left up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about another thing that Netflix dropped since we were last able to talk yeah. about it. Hell uh, we yeah. Got, we got another chunk of uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean, which is part six. Uh, so. Yes. I want to talk about this simply by stating what happens in the, <laughs> what the first battle of yes this, of uh, this, this new segment. arc of so uh, Jolene's companion Emmy's Costello uh, suddenly mm-hmm. reveals that she had a sister who was murdered by an evil gangster by the name of Sports Max with two X's. Um, now Sportsmax is in this prison that they're all in because of course he is and she's going to try and kill him. But it turns out Sportsmax is a stand user. I bet you never saw this coming. Mm-hmm. And Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> gather so gather yourself. <laughs> Sportsmax's stand is called Limp Biscuit and it has the ability <laughs> to create zombies but invisible zombies. Also, the invisible zombies can walk on walls because invisible zombies have no concept of up or down, apparently. Uh, uh-huh. yeah. And the reason why the bad guy needs Sports Max and his stand, which again, I will remind you, is called Limp Biscuit with the spelling and everything, um, is so he can reanimate a part of Dio's bone uh, because Dio's body was exploded at the end of part three, except it's invisible and so the bone attacks the bad guy and is now somewhere in the prison and everybody is looking for this invisible bone which has <laughs> sentience apparently and uh-huh. and this all is all tracked so far I, I, yeah, I feel yeah. like this is <laughs> I feel like we have become even more unmoored from reality than Jojo usual, part quite, 6 frankly. is great yeah, <laughs> is, like, is that basically what we're getting to here yeah, yeah, yeah dude it's yeah. incredible <laughs> Dude, like, part six is like I, if you allow music, I want to talk about Survivor uh, after after we finish up here with with yes, Limp Biscuit. Yes, we, because... we should talk about Survivor, but um, uh, uh, but yes, you know. So 
my constant reaction throughout these episodes was I laughing every single time they refer to the bad guy because he's called Sports Max. Uh-huh. Um, also, like all the Rocky bad guys, he looks barely human. Um, and also just like the astonishing leaps in logic that it requires you like people are saying things like oh no we are trapped by the invisible undead and pretending that that's anything other than a punchline to a joke and it's indescribably funny it's so good like i i just cannot um mm-hmm. i cannot articulate how incredibly stupid this show is is, it, is this like, just like peak jojo stupidity here yeah, yeah. Like, it, it it is like it is like we took because like i would say regular jojo stupidity is we took this seemingly basic concept and then made like a colossal leap of logic to get somewhere else and here they have taken like seven or eight more leaps of logic right. I mean, this is the show in, like, where a place where the end of, and at the end of the previous core the weather report whose power is weather report which controls the weather could summon a tornado of frogs because oh yes yes I you remember know this. there yes. have been technically there have been reports of frogs flowing from the sky yes uh, so but it's weather we we are so far beyond that now I that mean it is just the, like the thing I truly love I think about part six I think especially even more than I mean again I, I will you know I've said before that part five is probably my least favorite part but sure. the thing I love about six is I think that six has finally fully embraced the core tenet of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, which is that it doesn't really matter what your stand is. when In terms of who wins a fight, it's not the power of your stand. It's who believes in their own bullshit more. <laughs> like who it's like it's like a game played by kids in the schoolyard you know who can come up with the increasingly improbable explanation of some superpower that you have to get out of this uh-huh. thing right you know so like it is basically the inferno cop thing where he goes i am also immune to your bullets <laughs> yes. but like spread across yeah. like hundreds of years and like dozens of episodes and stuff right. like that but yeah. but yeah so after Okay, so so after they defeat Sports Max and Limp Biscuit, uh, Jolene finds out that the bone is located somewhere in the like the hole, the pit. You know, I must be also quickly point out that this is the second uh, weird unknown bone that is a plot element in this show. <laughs> it's also Corey, another completely Corey different known bone. bone from his mother. Yeah. But, but yes, yeah, so so Jolene finds out the bone is being held in the like maximum security wing. You know, they were the where the where the hardest, meanest, most dangerous criminals go, and so Jolene needs to get sent there, right? And so she does, and it's you know it's kind of one of those like circular panopticon style like prison cells, and this is where we're introduced to. I can't believe I'm saying this, but. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So. <laughs> We all know that Shonen loves a good tournament arc, right? And that in some regards, um, the sign of a Shonen, like a Shonen's like creative like potential is how quickly do they resort to introducing a tournament arc? Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you folks, it took Araki six JoJo parts <laughs> to finally introduce what is functionally a fighting tournament with the stand survivor uh survivor is revealed to be basically a like microscopic neurovirus that transmits through electricity 
And mm-hmm. what it does is that when it infects a person, it it removes all of the like limitations on their their anger control and uh-huh. their physical ability so that anybody who is infected by survivor uh, basically is is their killing driven intent fight, is, is, yeah. yes they're driven to fight their killing intent is maximized to the absolute limits of the human body they, they just become completely psychotic basically. yes and so they yeah. fight each other and not only do people people infected by survivor fight each other they fight each other to gruesomely self-destructively right. yeah it's, it's like one the of ability to like see like each other's strong points and weak points like a life yes. bar like a life bar yeah like this is the most violent JoJo has been since part three, I believe. Like there is some real kind of like punching people and like bones are crumbling and like, yeah. blood is flying out of every orifice. Like people's and, like, skin are being shorn right off of their fists from how hard they are punching each other. It's it's maybe the like JoJo has gotten violent, but yeah. like not in quite this like Right, insane visceral. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't and, feel and to, as as real when like Polnareff's foot gets vaporized by vanilla by vanilla ice. Like yes, right. But but also you know it is unspeakably grotesque. But because yeah. it is done in the JoJo art style and because it is done against the backdrop of this absolutely stupid set of circumstances, it is just incredibly funny. It's not like yeah. gross or anything. It's just unbelievably hilarious. It's like I was like when Hyperviolence is having like Thunderbolt fantasy, right? Like, yeah, right. basically. Like it, it it's but like yeah, so... No, go on, Jay. Yeah. Oh, I was I was just gonna say, like, yeah, because like the basic premise is like so they are in like the maximum security wing, right? And the first person to get infected by Survivor is a prison guard. Uh or, or two prison guards, and one fight and they fight each other to the death. And the surviving prison guard is like he just shouts, strongest. It's fight club time! And just unlocks every cell and just tells everybody to just start <laughs> fighting each other. And they do! <laughs> Because they've all been infected with Survivor. Uh, Jolene's been infected by Survivor. Like, she literally, like, mid-fight is like, I'm gonna kill this motherfucker. But because she has her Joestar nobility, she's like, wait, hold on a second. Why would I say such a thing? Also, every single one of the maximum security cell occupants is, like, a classic Iraqi grotesque. But Like, Fist of the North Star rejects? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but also, the bad guy has revealed that he has planted four stand users somewhere among the bad yes. guys. So now it is like, not only is it you must fight for your life, also there are like four people with other crazy supernatural abilities hidden uh, among all it's... of these murderers and like robbers and stuff. It is like, it is maybe one of my favorite applications of, again, in, in spirit a tournament arc that I have seen in a while. Like, especially in a manga like Jojo, or a story like Jojo, which just has never really ever needed to resort to this sort of framework. (laughs) Right. Jojo's thus far just gotten away with stand users are drawn to other stand users, so like obviously we're just gonna meet a new weird stand user every time. It's fine. It's it's very... Jojo has always been more monster of the week. And so to just have like what is essentially a fighting tournament between all of these fucked up like super killers is I mean it's a lot of fun. 
It's a lot of fun, yeah. And, I mean, even, like, Jolene's first fight in this tournament, quote-unquote, against the prison guard, it is revealed, of course, the prison guard is also a stand user. <laughs> and his stand has the ability <laughs> to call, to gravitationally attract meteorites towards himself. <laughs> uh... It just... You know, just use your imagination. If you have the power to attract meteorites uh-huh. to yourself, how would you only, use that power? There's only one. There's only one direction that's going to go. And like now that the- Jolene's killing intent has been unlocked, she's willing to use her string powers in increasingly horrible ways. God, the thing. <laughs> Joseph would like- look at what Jolene is doing with the string and be like, "That's fucked up." Again, it is like children, like you know, just like coming up with increasingly weird reasons to smash their action figures together. Yeah. It's great. I mean, and, like... Yeah. All right, Jell, here, here's 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 an analogy that'll make sense. All right, okay. so we all know the Wu-Tang skit, right? Where they're, like, all talking about, like, the fucked up ways they're going to torture each other to death. The Method right? Man skit, right? The Method Man B- skit, before, right? Like, before Method Man comes on, yeah. On, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Chambers, where it's like, yes. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a take your nutsack and nail it to the drawer. That, that shit? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's basically what Jolene is doing with strings. <laughs> yeah. Also, you know, again, it has that veneer of JoJo style over it, so everybody either looks like a supermodel or like sewn together from corpses, and everyone <laughs> is named after like, and everyone is named after some eighties rock band right, or like and a fashion designer. Yeah, like. I was gonna say, is Survivor is that like the band that sings the "I band, Am Tiger"? The band, Survivor, yes, it's yes, absolutely yes. the band. Oh okay. yes, like, yes, yeah. Well. Like there sounds is, like uh, like there is a there is a ki- there is a kid who just lives inside this prison, who wears a baseball outfit constantly for some reason, who is called Emporio Armani, who has the ability to <laughs> basically like create Raymond's tiny heart from D and D, and it, it's just like it's barely like the third or fourth most notable thing that's happening uh-huh. at any point. Yeah, in time. they it's... introduce Narciso Anasui, who yes. whose hand is called Diver Down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, guys. I know you want to rec- you want to go over every single yeah, yeah. Uh, crazy yeah. power. Uh, the point is, here, but- the point is, it sounds like a Mad Libs contest, but this yes, is actually right. stuff that is happening. That's no, JoJo, I, baby. I, I'm having so much fun with Part Six. It is how, how far along are you guys in it at this point? Uh, I've only gotten to the point that we've been talking about, basically. Yeah. So. Um. But and, and this of course is the like second batch, so we're like correct. I believe right. that's going to be four total. Okay, is what so, I seem to recall. But you're, so you're probably a little like fourteen, fifteen episodes in, or something like that. Yeah, if yeah. You're counting H. if you're counting the 15, first. 15, yeah. yeah, yeah. Batch. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's also going to be part of next uh-huh. season. Yeah, what's so. the next show that's still continuing? Oh well. Before we, I sorry guys, I forgot to put this on the notes. I did want to talk about one other Netflix show <laughs> oh that did that is finished, and I did uh, want to mention uh, with uh, Kakaguri Twin. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about Netflix shows with absurd things happening in them, um, and so I did watch. It was it was the six episodes. If everybody recalls, we talked about last time. Everything we said was pretty much continued to be true. Where Mary is not a great main character and this is like cock, diet kakagurui like it's nothing quite as wild as anything in the main yeah. series but Shasta the, 
the uh, particularly the, the the last two episodes were pretty lame, but the middle two episodes were pretty good, which Artemis did say when we were talking about it last time. And um, it led to one very good moment. I wanted to try to relay uh, yeah. for for yeah. anybody that watched it. I think like we're back in the old days of the podcast. Yeah. So like, so, so like the, the middle, the middle episodes, they play a, like it's, it's called a dating game, but it's really like a random guessing game where like you get a team of boys and a team of girls. Uh-huh. And uh, the, the team of boys have to write down beforehand what girl they would um, go mm-hmm. on a date with if they uh-huh. asked them to go out on a, on a date with them. Group date cafe. And then the girls have to um, then pick a guy to ask out. Right. And if they match up, they win or something. I don't. Right. The details aren't that you, important. You get like shot if you if you don't match. No, it's it's not nothing quite like that. But the 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 girls have the option to up the stakes. They can earn mm. more money if okay. they Dables they can earn more guys. money if they either offer to go to dinner with the guy, or uh-huh. if they want to earn a lot of money, they can offer to spend the night with the guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Compensated dating, yeah. Yes. So the first round goes through and the girls all offer to go to dinner because that's easy. We just get let's just get the extra money. Right. And they lose. because uh, oh. Mary kind of sucks. That's part of the theme. And she uh-huh. has to figure out how to like undo everything. And uh so you know they they do all their you know, cheating and backstabbing and lying and all that stuff to figure out how to win the second round. And of course, the ration of the tension, they all bet spending the night in the second round, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, Mary figures it out and manages to win the game and they take all the, all the boys' money and rub it in their faces and everything, everything, you know, roll credits. And, um, this leads to the best scene in the entire series where <laughs> you kind of forget at this point because it's over the course of two episodes that they lost the first round and still have to honor their dinner bet. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh. So, so they actually have to go through with whatever they so, get. Okay. Yes. So yeah. so the so even though they won the second round and got all the money, they still have to go through with the um the penalty from the first round. So they have to they have to all go to dinner and they have this like post-credit scenes of just pure silence other than the sound of like silverware on plates mm-hmm. with like everyone's the, just awkwardly at dinner yes the camera slowly panning <laughs> with the girls like smugly sitting there saying nothing and the guys like looking like absolutely mortified because they're paying for this expensive dinner on top of all the money they lost and just like no mm-hmm. uh no dialogue or anything music I do or like anything a, i do like a good awkward silence yeah it's pretty good, good. <laughs> just a really good awkward silence after the credits nothing else and then they just end the episode i'm like all Excellent. right that's that's pretty good we got one good moment out of these six episodes because <laughs> <laughs> other than that it was just bad you can go back and listen to the previous podcast for all the details because that all the last time we talked about it a couple episodes ago because that all pretty much held true they mm-hmm. they tried to do their weird like let's overthrow the student council thing and whatnot and I'm like, right. then, like you guys know you're all right. rich people pre- also this is still prequel right so it's like yes the status yeah, so you know not be upended too much right and and it is the same student council as the main series so you know they're not going to succeed and it's just like you you're wasting my time but we got that one good moment that I wanted to mention so 
Okay. All right. All right. Let's move on to shows that still have episodes <laughs> left, but <laughs> you know, wrap up. It's our last, or kind of our last chance to talk about them. Um, so, uh, what's the deal with uh, Futo PI, which we it's did still going? Add to the yeah, list. It, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's still going. Uh, How many still... does it have? One episode left, or no? It has it... like it started a month late. Remember, so it's got like four or five oh, episodes right. left. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, the the, the latest arc is that our heroes are detect, double detective heroes are stuck in a Snowden mansion out in the wilderness, and there's a bunch of pretty ladies who are wearing masks, and there's a rich man wearing a mask, and his butler wearing a mask, and his grandmother also wearing a mask, uh-huh, and their friend wearing a mask, and they're informed. While oh, by the way, here. we already know that their friend is the big bad. So, <laughs> right, but Snowden, you know, all these ladies are competing to see who gets to marry the rich businessman, uh, on the condition they do not reveal their faces or names, uh, in this closed circle. Uh, and then you know, people are start dying, and our detectives have to figure out what's going on and also there's a monster and maybe they'll transform because it's common rider which means which like my first reaction to this is this show really really likes its booby ladies yeah all it, over the place dude it really needs to turn it down like it's it is, but how else will we know that this is for adults? For it's not adults. for kids. When, even though it's a little aimed for like thirteen-year-olds, um, and, <laughs> and feels like it. Let's be real. Uh, yeah. But man, it's it is comedic. It is absurd. Yeah. Because the thing is, like, it's not any more like dark or sophisticated or dangerous, really, than the original show, which was a live-action show for eight-year-olds. You know? <laughs> exactly. Is, so you're just, you're, so you're just throwing boobs into a kid's show. Kind of, is, yeah. yeah. You know, And that's annoying, because I kind of like the kid's show parts. You know, like right. I like it when they transform and kick ass. I like it when the creepy monsters show up. You know, I uh-huh. like it when they press the USB drives and they say dumb things. Right. Uh, I just would prefer there not to be so much gratuitous fan service. Uh, now those um, monsters are showing up and their boobs bounce and then they like brutally murder another hot lady. Yeah, that's the <laughs> other thing. Like there are occasional dashes of ultra violence and that doesn't really fit the tone. You know, like like you'll have this lady impaled on a tree branch and then the next moment this man is transforming into a motorcycle. Like it's right. It's weird. Like and and it and it still feels it's still a lot of fun. Like I I am enjoying the show quite a bit, mm-hmm. but it it feels like a lesser shadow of its original self. And like I don't know, maybe that's just because I watched that show a decade ago, and it has been like consistently one of my favorite things since. But it definitely feels like you know this is good, this is fun. I'm enjoying this, but but it is an imitation. You know, it is it is uh-huh. an imitation that is occasionally jarringly off-putting. The it's show is, is making me think, as for someone who has not seen Kamen Rider Double, uh, the spinoff of Kamen Rider Double is making me go, maybe I should just watch the original <laughs> Kamen Rider Double instead. Yeah, like, which, you know, arguably is the point, I suspect. But I suppose it, it's, so. 
it, it's very odd, you know, like, like I just, I just, I, I just find it weird that this thing got made in the first place. Like, I mean, it's like, like a weird, that there have totally have made like consistent efforts to kind of like grow the brand in recent years, you know, right. um, especially because its core audience has been, been less and less productive. The toys you know? like are, it's, sell less and less every time. Yeah, it, it's no secret that, like, traditional, like, weekend morning Toku stuff has been on a downward curve for a while. So, like, I get it. They are attempting to branch out. But, but it does seem odd, you know? It seems a very clumsy, like, attempt. It's like, you know, it's like a teenager dressing up in his dad's suit. You know, <laughs> you're not fooling anybody. You kind of you're... just make yourself look even more stupid than you started. Sleeves going um, up over your hands, and yeah, uh, yeah you know, it, it is the three children in a trench coat of <laughs> anime. You know, it, it's it's fine. You know, I'm having a good time. It still looks great. You know, it's fun. There is a lot of like stuff from original Carbon Rider Double that I like, but but at no point does it threaten to be more than the sum of its parts if that makes sense you know yeah. it's good it's fine i'm having fun it, you could never call it inspired well i guess i mean it's there's quite a bit of it left although with the yeah. timing of first looks coming up we actually might not have a whole lot of time to talk about well, it yeah. we'll see but, you know i'm i'm sure we'll get a word in edgeways we'll at least sneak when that it in at some on. point but, um, but yeah you know that that is my stance on it i'm having a great time watching it like just I don't weird. think that there is anything here for you if you've not seen like original Carmen Rider, which is what we said in the first place, and nothing has changed on that front. And uh, Iro, you're saying, uh, I mean, are you actually enjoying it, Iro, or are you just saying you feel sure. like the maybe you should go back and watch? Uh... I mean, like I I'm inundated enough with Carmen Rider and Tokusatsu like tropes slash knowledge slash expectations to still enjoy it. I think, but yeah. right, again, it's not like you're missing. It shows anything, up quite similar. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all right. Uh, let's talk about mm. Made in Abyss, the golden city of the scorching sun. Uh-huh. Man, this is going to be a weird one because, yeah. like, so this, this show one... deserves a proper, like, wrap-up, like, discussion, but we can't really do it because... Because the last because it has forty five minutes. Well, done let, let's yeah. let's start let's start because Zig, I don't think you've had a chance to talk about this yet. So, what about the horrifying events? Of yeah, the previous what what is because because I feel like perhaps this has become a little bit divisive with everyone's mm. tolerance level for uh, how much suffering they're willing to put up with. Um, and what has your feelings been on this uh, the second season? I think that. It's difficult to articulate this. So I think that my feelings on this second season have been negatively influenced by a lot of the stuff that is happening outside the story itself, you know, um, and I'll elaborate on that in a second. What I will say is that I think the body horror is very effective at eliciting the responses it it wants to elicit. I think that the difference here is that it is beginning to feel artificial, if that makes sense. I think what made the first season of Made in Abyss in particular good is that the danger and the revelations felt that they flowed organically outward from the story. Here it sometimes feels like that the writing is trying to like outdo itself for 
misery and destruction <laughs> and like like we were joking about it but like dead dead baby soup is almost a punchline you know um yeah you're you're really pushing it about as far yeah. as you can go with that i think right? i think part of this is the fact that at the more and more of made in abyss i see the more and more i realize that the author gets off on this shit and like that that is kind of like a combination of external factors but also just an organic understanding of like oh the suffering is not a means to an end the suffering is the end um and i i think that that is difficult i also like there's a point i wanted to make when i was listening to you guys talk about this a little while back as well there's a lot in this arc of female characters and motherhood being used as metaphors and proxies for monsters and i think that's a really dangerous and tricky set of themes to take on and i'm not saying that you cannot i'm not saying that men cannot write about those themes but i think that this is an inelegant and potentially troublesome implementation of that idea does that make sense like uh, i i think that i think that like we turned this child into a baby factory um to protect ourselves has consequences that perhaps the author did not consider when he was writing that like if you do a deeper analysis of the text do you get me on that yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? Because I mean, I stopped watching it, so I, I, I mean, like, other than what you've told me, I don't really have. I mean, I, I would say to comment on it, but yeah, I would say in response to this that in a lot of ways, this is for better or worse, sort of the thing that has always made Sakushi's storytelling so uniquely enthralling, but also undeniably off-putting. Yes, is that and- he he knows how to turn the dials and twist the knobs to elicit the, this wellspring of like awful mixed feelings in, in his readers and viewers. And, and and yes, to a certain degree, it almost feels artificial. Like he just knows, like he has this, like he had, he found the secret formula and he, it almost feels like he can just get it, kind of get away with it. Right? Like, oh, you I, know, who, who needs compelling storytelling? I'll just twist the child murder knob, and you'll feel bad about it. And yeah, and, and <laughs> it works. I, I am, I am somewhat sympathetic to the argument that I have seen is that like his weird creepiness like functions almost like Lovecraft's racism in the sense that it unintentionally like makes the work more unsettling if that makes sense um but i don't know like i'm not watching this show in a vacuum you know like i I know totally understand the other shows and and like i think that it's difficult because i think that the emotional like catharsis and like the emotion there really is real you know and i think the thing that i like and apologies if i'm dominating here but i think that the thing which appeals to me about the current storyline is the idea that, like, it's the same thing that was in the movie, the Dawn of the Deep Soul movie. You know, the idea that in this case, Wazi Kian, in that case, Bondrude, you know, they took a dream, you know, they took a dream, an idea, a hope, and perverted it, you know, and that is powerful. That is a thematically strong and 
um, you know, incredibly meaningful thing to to talk about in your show. You know, like like Wazi Qian dreamed of the Golden City. You know, he dreamed of a place where everyone would be accepted. You know, that is in isolation a noble goal, and the idea that you know we will achieve this dream whatever the cost is is devastating you know i think that it's it's an incredibly powerful thing to write about the problem is the way it's executed is again like creepy and fetishistic and and occasionally just too damn nasty for its own good you know and and i'm not entirely sure if i've reached the limit there yet you know I I think I definitely agree with where you're coming coming from, Zig. I I will say I think we should also speak to probably the most recent episodes because I think in a lot of ways, not that these recent episodes are meant to be a salve or a justification, but more that I think the events of the recent episodes are sort of sort of exist to to how do I put this? They're an attempt at mitigation, right? Yes, to to pull you back from the brink, right? Because, yes, Tsukushi loves to write misery porn, but on some level, he also understands that good storytelling still requires, you know... um, Catharsis. What's the word? A catharsis, yes, right? I I, I mean, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Beloff's, you know, sort of self-sacrifice or sort of his, his, his... his suicide by cop against Fabius' yes. rampage um, allows him to, uh, you know, we have established that uh, Beloff, one of the three sages, has the ability to communicate memories and emotions through smells. Mm-hmm. And uh, and established in the flashback that Beloff is maybe the only thing left in the, the village that resembles something of a moral center. Uh, he is the one member of the original Ganja tribe that could never square away uh, what they did to Iramui in the name of survival. Right. And so I, his final gift to Fabita is because Fabita was explicitly born of Iramui's uh, hatred and resentment of, of the village. And again, this is not to justify it, but yeah. I, I can appreciate that the story wants to bring some of that, some nuance back into the yeah. conflict by Beloff basically gifting to Fabita in his dying moments Iramui's memories of her love and the the positive times that she spent with the Ganja tribe. And it sort of, to me at least, sort of gets at the same thing that the, that the Bonjrut arc also gets into is that if the abyss is this truly unno- unknowable, eldritch, like horrible pit that is just like actively hostile to fundamental existence, that the one and only thing, the one and only constant that that could possibly save us in an environment this hostile is unconditional love. Right. And yes. And, again, and it I, doesn't... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so, like, my counter to that would be, I appreciate that. I think I like what they're trying to do, which is the idea that, like, Faputa has to understand that, like, um, you know, that even though this village was born out of tragedy, you know, there are now positive things here. But my problem is, as a viewer, there has not been enough weight put on the scales in the other direction. You know, I I think I still want to see her destroy all of this. I, well, I, think, I mean, 
I think the only the, satisfaction the, I will get from And I would say this, I think I would like, still say that I think the recent episodes broadly agree with your point, Zig. Like despite yeah. her, despite her gaining the awareness of Iramui's life. Right. She still and basically arrives at the fundamental conclusion, or, or right, but, if not, but her, we, then the story we are not itself. To, yeah, we are not meant to agree with her though. All of the storytelling techniques that are being used are telling us that she is the villain in this case, and and that's my issue. You know, I just don't agree. Like, because like Reg is saying, you know, I must stand up, I must stop her. You know, this and like we are meant to believe that he is the noble hero. You know, that he is trying to preserve life. He is trying to say that, and I'm just not there yet. You know, I I don't. I, think that well I, I there think... is there is still technically the two more episodes right yes, yes. i mean there's a double length finale but... finale right? i mean I, so... I guess to all that zig i would ask then how do you feel about like the the final decision of the villagers to that that their penitence or you know their 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 moment of their their attempt at redemption is to just feed their physical beings to fabita like I think it is an unnecessarily gross, like, physical manifestation of a metaphor. You know, I think sure. that it, it's, like, I get what you're, again, I get what you're going for. I think it's, in in honesty, I think that this last part has been marred by poor execution, really. You know, I think a lot of these um, sequences have been sort of dragged out extensively for the need to, for there to be fights and battles as well, you know, and... And, and and it's difficult, you know. I appreciate that they are doing something more than just, you know, we will wipe this thing off the place, face of the planet. I respect that, but I don't. I'm not there yet. Again, I don't believe in the story that they're trying to tell, and that to me is the big issue. You know, I I, I still don't. I, I, I do not have enough affection for the people of this village to not want to see them destroyed, you know, and and that's the thing, you know, and and I'll freely admit, you know, that like the 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 body horror and the emotional manipulation stuff gets to me much more than a lot of people. You know, it is a weakness. Um, I was very badly affected by the end of Made in Abyss season one, for example, but... But to me, again, that scale is just so badly tipped onto the side of, oh, these people should die. And and that's still the way I, want, I feel about them. Okay. All right, well... Well, we got two you, episodes left. I know. So you still have anything <laughs> yeah. left. That made me so. sound like way more of a psychopath than I intended. Quite, no, quite no, quick. no. It's, it's it's just that, like, Eero and I are caught in an uncomfortable position of right. you we can't are say aware much, of what the last two episodes yeah. will be about. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, yeah. Put it this way. They have continued to hold my interest, and that, in a way, is almost more important than if I agree with them or not. I mean, I think know. in a lot of ways, it's, it, is the, it is the hackneyed metaphor we keep bringing up about Made in Abyss, is that Made in Abyss's storytelling is, in a lot of ways, like the titular Abyss, in that it is mm. a deeply upsetting artifice, but there is something about the way Tsukushi writes that is just... I don't know, just deeply enthralling. I I don't I don't know what else yeah, to say I, about I, it. I I'm still I reading just... this damn manga for some reason. <laughs> Again, I just feel that like, to, like a lot of the a lot of the disguise has dropped away now, you know. And like, I just perhaps I see a little bit too much of just a dude who likes to write about brutalizing children. You know. All right. Well. I tapped out after uh, season one. I <laughs> tapped out after uh, I forget exactly where she stopped, uh -huh. but 
probably somewhere around the baby soup era. It, it was uh, the baby soup stuff. Yeah, and then uh, Zig, <laughs> I you would might be, make it to the you might make yeah. it to the end of season two, and I, then who knows? Uh, I would so, be very so, interested to hear what Artemis thought about what she saw this season. There isn't it? really anything left after season two to adapt. Yet. Okay. Yeah, oh. look, look, look forward to season three in twenty twenty six. Oh God, um, yeah. So at the rate that Sakushi is currently uh, writing the yeah. manga, all right. My goodness, let's let's move on. And yeah, are uh, are kids getting brutalized in this next show, uh, Gel? Uh, emotionally, not, maybe. Emotionally, perhaps, right. but uh, you know, <laughs> um, Call of the Night. I think I'm officially ready to say Call of the Night's pretty good. Okay. Gel, <laughs> tell us, tell us about Megane Colombo. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but. Um, there is one episode left, so which I don't think is really going to change my opinion of the show. They've done an interesting thing where, uh, and if you go back and listen to what I've been saying, I, I, I think I've kind of been building up to this, but looking back, it makes more sense to me that they've very slowly progressed over from the first half of the show being this sort of very lighthearted, you know, romantic comedy, let's hang out all night drinking beer and playing video games kind of fun thing and very slowly and gradually moved it over to this much more nuanced sort of coming of age type of story where they're, you know, getting into, well, why does this kid actually, why was he so willing to just quit school and be a vampire? And, (laughs) and, um, they, it does get more serious, but I feel like, Whenever a comedy does that, it, it's always like the sort of violent mood swing type of, you know, melodramatic turn or something. And they don't do that. It's a very, like, almost subtle difference. Um, and I, I don't it's 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 not quite like anything I've seen before. Like, I don't have like a good example to compare this to um, where they're able to have like more serious discussions, but it's not like. You know the the main kid Ko, he's like he's like a mature kid. Mm-hmm. So like he's not like freaking out or like, you know, you know, breaking down in tears or anything. Right. But also he's still like his reactions are still kind of immature. Like he's still naive enough to be shocked yeah. when people tell him that life sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is a lot of what the sorry, second kid. half is. Yeah, sorry, kid. But um you know, there's 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 a couple of moments. Uh, there's one episode which I thought was interesting where <laughs> and this is going to sound awful, but <laughs> they work in a maid cafe. OK, uh-huh. just 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 uh, I mean, it's out of my work with me on this one. Um, and they find out like it, this, this made it, this was it was kind of an uncomfortable how they worded it, but it was like this girl was like upset that she was no longer the most popular maid at the cafe and was like uh-huh. taking suggestive pictures of herself to like uh raise up her popularity or something right and 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 like it 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 starts off as like oh my god why is she doing such this horrible thing and the conclusion they come to is like yeah we're all kind of messed up if that's what you got to do you, you know you do what you got to do right and i'm like right and and they kind of get there awkwardly and clumsily but like that's kind of like the thing they start going into of like, yeah, we're all kind of messed up. Life sucks. And, you know, but you can't just you like run through, away from your like, problems. Yeah. Um, there's another part 
where um, it almost takes like a horror turn where they, they run into this vampire guy who was turned into a vampire like 10 years ago and he has refused to drink anybody's blood because he doesn't want to be a vampire. And they kind okay. of like contrast this with like, you know, Coe's mm-hmm. made this decision so like off the cuff or whatever. Like, yeah, right. I'm going to be a vampire without actually thinking about what that means. Right. And like, yeah, you're going to have to go drink people's blood and you're going to be like a horrible monster. And, uh, you know, and it kind of builds up to even the main girl, Nazana, kind of admitting. This kid doesn't have what it takes or like. No, no, not that. But like admitting even for her, like. Oh, yeah. Things that. She gives this whole speech about how, like, she asks him, you know. Yeah, when you first stopped going to school and started like hanging out and it was real exciting and everything. And like, is it mm-hmm. as exciting now as it was six months ago? <laughs> right. And like, even the most exciting things eventually become normal. And like, mm-hmm. she's just bored all the time as a vampire because she's been around for so long. There's no and, more novelty. You're right. Yeah. And like, maybe being a vampire isn't all that cool as it sounds to be. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it is. And, um, but it does this in a way where it's like, you know, obviously it's all, you know, metaphorical for growing up and all that. Right. But yeah. like it does it in a way that's not like over the top and dramatic, but it's not, it's not like super silly either. Like it's still like serious enough where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. this is kind of interesting that they're adding there. some and kind I, of weight to yeah, this. And am I not traditionally great at subtle morals? So yeah, this sounds encouraging. Exactly. So this is why I'm like shocked, especially the way the show starts, because it is very silly in the beginning. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, they this all builds up to them dropping in uh, the the girl that the Internet was uh, raving over the past two weeks. Um, New waifu <laughs> just a, dropped. Uh huh. Yes, the uh, the lady that I described as uh, what if Columbo was a hot anime lady with glasses that was voiced by Miyuki Sawashiro. I'll meet more. And okay, she comes let... in. Go ahead. No, Zay. no, go. No, no, you go. go. No, she comes in as kind of like at first she's kind of like goofy, you know, kind of uh-huh. asking around about what the kid's been up to. And then she kind of ends up being what the closest thing the show has as a vill- as a villain. Cause she's like a vampire hunter basically. And uh, ah. she's like, I'm not gonna let you become a vampire kid. So, you know, you got to give up on that. You teach you that love doesn't exist. So of course. If, fall in love with her. Of course, if he does give up um, and mm-hmm. where they kind of leave off. Right. Cause the don't, then they don't, don't they have to like erase his memory or whatever. Right. Oh, like oh no, they have him? to kill him. Kill yes. Him. They right. erase his memory yes. by killing him. Yeah. <laughs> so uh-huh. yeah, not technically wrong, but yeah. so, so on the one <laughs> side, the vampires are like, you will become a vampire or die. And she's like, I'm not going to let you become a vampire. And uh, if you do, I will kill you. So, um, guess I'll die. Kinda, away. <laughs> gonna, yeah. So, so that's kind of where they leave off into the last episode. But yeah, I, I am really enjoying the turn it's taken. Um, I will note it continues. It has continued to consistently look fantastic throughout. And some of the, like their use of color has been really cool where like, you know, I talked about in the early going, it's all very like, it's all at night. So then they have used a lot of like deep purple and gold and stuff like that. It looks great. When, um, 
Megane Colombo shows up, whenever she's on screen, um, everything kind of almost goes colorless, almost like sepia. Okay. Is interesting. And then like, as she's talking to the main kid and like reality's kicking in, you start seeing like these like bursts of color, like all of a sudden, you know, this guardrail is bright green or like, you know, this sign is red, you know, the stop sign is red now. And like, it's like very well presented and directed and everything, which, you know, again, anime being visual medium that adds so much to the experience. And it's kind of hard. Yeah, Good adaptation goes a long way. I mean, convey over audio. Yeah. But because like these are, you know, these are, these are adapting inherently black and white, uh, uh, a black and white medium. Right. Yes. So this is like all the, you know, the, the anime production decisions here happening to enhance the story. And I think they're doing a fantastic job. And it's that that's a big part of my enjoyment. I think and me calling this like a good show because of like the level of quality. Um, I mean, it's a visual medium. The way things look is important. Yes. And the, and the way they kind of use that to support the mood and the storytelling is, and not just, Hey, let's throw, let's just throw pretty colors onto this. Like it's very, it's very cool. Yeah, so. I, I, I'm just encouraged to hear because you know I think like seemingly light-hearted show becomes serious business is a fairly common path in anime, and it's almost always disastrous. So I'm kind of just glad to hear that something, you know, a show handled it with what sounds like a fair degree of like grace and and you know consistency for a change yeah. because and I, there are so many like goofy comedies that tried to become heartfelt dramas and just sort of tripped and fell on their face that uh and i i think because they did it very gradually like a little bit at a time rather than just like here's the drama episode big plot twist you know it was like they start planting the seeds early of like like even going back to when i was telling you guys about the the time he meets like the tired office worker lady like that was still a pretty goofy episode, but they started like injecting like right. more serious ideas into mm-hmm. what's going on. And then, you know, it made it so they could build up to some of the more kind of intense things that happen later. So it's pretty good. Um, okay. We'll see well, how it's the nice last to see an anime goes, but... that like started off a little like a little gratuitous, right? A little, a little, a little, uh, you know, a little flippant, right? With its like, you know, high death midriff turnarounds. <laughs> it's, it's it's nice to see a show kind of like find its footing. Oh, there's still unlike, some of that in there, but yes. Unlike the next show on our list that also looks amazing, <sighs> and uh, just seems to have been completely incapable of finding its footing this entire season. Let's so, talk about Lycoris Recoil. Mm-hmm. So I'll show... start this. Oh, sorry, Joe. Go on. I was gonna. I was just gonna say a show that even after I drastically lowered my expectations, still managed to disappoint me in the end. Oh boy! But uh, go ahead, Zig. What were you? The thing say? I was gonna say was that immediately before this show, I just saw a bunch of people on uh, Twitter saying, like, "Oh, they stuck the landing. Fantastic!" And so, uh, judging by your tone, I'm guessing that's not so an opinion you share. That, that's the problem with this show because individual it parts of it, individual parts of it are are good and make you want to like it, which I think makes people even right more willing to shut their brain off and ignore mm. the very stupid things going on. But right. I. 
I think Eero actually makes, made a great point about this uh, the other day, so I'll, I'll, I'll let him get into that, but I, I will just say for my part, is that for better or worse, even to the very end, like Chorus Recoil, on a technical level, does stick the landing. Like, even in the last episode, there are still some really great bits of dialogue. There is... There are some great conversations. I think... I think Mika... Uh, funnily enough, comes out of this show looking the best. Like, he might be one of the the best written adult characters I've seen in an anime in a little bit. He's a very and, interesting character, yeah. Yeah, and when I say adult, I specifically mean he carries a sense of maturity, but also, like, moral compromise that comes with age. Yeah, like weariness. Yes, a world weariness to him is that, like, he has lived... He has lived his life. He has lived a full life and he has had, you know, he has had whatever ideals or 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 youthful energy he he once had beaten out of him. And the show never goes out of its way to portray him as in the wrong for that. It never like says, "Oh, he's just an adult. He's lost his way." You know, I mean, he still does the typical like we got to entrust the future to the kids thing, but like it never presents his own personal ideology and approach to problem solving as like invalid or in the wrong and in the end he makes the hard choices that an idealist like Chisato will never be able to make as long as she remains who she is and I don't know for me it's like unfortunately you have moments like Mika (laughs) or characters like Mika in this show who are so well written and so interesting and nuanced and, and, and complex in the midst of, you know, right. gestures at the rest of the show, you know, yeah, the yeah. rest of what it like, is. I, I wrote, as, what was, somebody um, who dropped out, as someone who dropped out at episode four, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I, there, I, yeah, yeah, like, I might as well have been watching a completely different show because none of this shit was. Yeah, pretty much nothing at that point was relevant yeah. at this point. But, um, Ira, what was, what was your point then? that she was talking about we were talking about this the other day like right after we watched it <clears throat> and geez gee i think you said like you weren't as like as mad about it as you thought you might have been or something right. like that, that yeah I, I guess I'll, I'll explain my where my mentality is is look y'all know that when i don't like a show <laughs> i can really turn up the heat right Kyok, look at kyokai senki look at gun to build divers when i don't like a show i can I, I could go for hours about why I don't like a show. But when I yeah. finished like Chorus Recoil, I I felt it was a little confusing because I know I wasn't happy with how it ended, but I didn't feel that like usual fire in me to hate this show. And oh yeah, no, I, I I'm totally with you on that. Um right. because, because there are you know, I've talked about this in other episodes. The like the moment to moment stuff still feels good to me like it always has and mm-hmm. like you know i like the characters for the most part and like i i want this to all work and it's just the big picture stuff is so bad and right. like particularly the ending which you know i have not seen an ending this spineless since decadence um oh dude this ending is bad like it right but so so, right. so what exactly happens can somebody okay, give me so, like a positive? yeah so I'll, I'll, we'll try and give like a, a kind of a brief summary but the 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 main i guess majima did end up being the bad guy right and yeah he's like the crazy chaotic 
cartoon villain guy, right? Uh-huh. And he's he's gonna just your typical t- like fictional anarchist who's just like, I'm doing it to bring down the man. Yeah, so he's gonna blow up the the the, the tower to to expose the Lycoris to the world, which you know the Lycoris to needs to be exposed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, and. You know this. You know it. It all pans out pretty much exactly as you would expect, um, with various reversals of fortunes from the different sides, and uh, you know a final showdown with Shisato versus Majima, and you know yeah. nobody nobody actually dies in the end. Uh, and right, it, it it's just like it's such a thematic mess because. Mm-hmm. They try to pull this, they try to pull out in one of the conversations, they try to pull out the, you know, life is not like an action movie. Things are are gray. They're not black and white. And I'm like, I feel like shooting people in the street before they commit crimes and then covering it up is pretty clearly bad. <laughs> but, yeah. The show doesn't think so, though. The but they're like, oh, well, you know, there's bad things or good things. And then I think the thing that really killed it for me was like, Chisato's whole like becomes like the definition of privilege when she's like, well, yeah, bad things are happening, but I'm having fun. So maybe it's not all bad. And I'm like, (laughs) I think the system still needs to get blown up here. And, you know, of course, you know, Majima is intentionally painted as uninteresting character. Right. But like, even though he's, you know, making a good point, he's intentionally driven to an level of extremity, extremeness. He's he's so cartoonish that like the point that extra judicial death squads shouldn't exist is like lost in the, lost in the maelstrom. It's, it's it's Killmonger in Black Panther. Like it's, like oh yes. oops we gave our villain an extremely valid viewpoint so now right. we have to have a shot of him like shooting a baby in the face to make sure right. you understand he's the villain yeah. yeah um so that's that's all very very bad and it's like what what makes me angry from the very start of this show is like why did you even bring this up in the first place right <laughs> Right, why even you, portray the like horse as, as as like morally ambiguous if yes, you weren't going to you, have the teeth to actually do anything about it? If you end? wanted to actually say something about this stuff, sure, bring it up. Right. If but, not but that, that that's anime in a nutshell. Like right. the system is always correct. The system is always Here's the thing about the thing about this show is like it, it they're not that it is being <laughs> Yeah, so they think they're not saying that the system is correct. They're they think I think they're they feel that they have presented a more nuanced, sort of morally gray. And, and so now that we finally gotten all this prelude out of the way, I apologize, Eero. We kept That's stepping fine. over you, but maybe I think now is a good place for you right. to explain like, kind of where this feeling came. When I from. think about how like we were, we have torn apart shows like Kyokai Senki uh, in comparison to this, and then to think like with Kyokai Senki and stuff like that, it's that the show totally fails to make good on its mission statement. And so it's just like we can list all the ways in which it's screwed itself. But right. then, uh, having watched the course recoil beginning to end and seen how toothless it is and all that, and how it's like trying to juxtapose wackadoo cafe life with the shooty shoot stuff, I, I'm like, this is exactly what the show wanted to be all along. And so, <laughs> mid, sure. 
you could say that. But like, this is exactly what the show wanted to be all along was wacky cafe stuff and then girls with guns and nobody actually gets hurt. And right. That's what I was going to say. It, like, I feel like there have been many anime that have worn the cloak of we are like about big topic and right. kind of just like hidden themselves and, under like, it. The- production has been impeccable from front to back and so like the show thinks it stuck the landing and completely presents itself as if it stuck the landing because it's completely that is why i think that is why people think it stuck the landing because the show i think truly believes it has stuck the landing like like a jojo character it believes that it's one (laughs) therefore (laughs) you know all the people watch like a lot of people watching who are not us who have to do this <laughs> podcast every two weeks, you know, go, oh yeah, it's, it did stick the landing, you know, like there was a fun action spectacle, it's some good stuff. And, and I will say anecdotally, a lot of people have been watching this show. Oh, it's it a very popular show. Super I mean, popular. Hideo Kojima, you know, endorsed Lycoris Recoil. I do not yes. trust Hideo Kojima's taste on anything, <laughs> yeah. especially yeah. video games. Uh, <laughs> but I, I just. Coming back to around to what you said, G, I agree. Where it's like, I, yeah, I'm mad at that specific part, but like on a, it's like I was still kind of enjoying watching it every week, like that's because right, that's of problem. I mean, is, again, is the thing that it's like, is is the thing that it's hard to get angry at it because there's just not enough substance to be angry about. No, I think like, it's because no, the, because I think I think there actually like there is enough substance. I mean, okay, if I if, if there's enough substance in Kyokai Senki for me to get mad at it. Like, Horus Recall definitely has enough quote-unquote substance that I could get mad at. But yeah. for some reason, it's like, again, I think it's what Euro said of, like... We can't we, Like, there's there's not stuff for, in Horus Recall for us to say, why didn't you do this thing differently to better make your point? Because, like, Horus Recall's making the exact point it wants to, and it's just a completely toothless point. Right, that, that's never, what like, I was like, trying to say. Is the entire show. Kyoko Senki at least seemed to have an agenda, right? Its agenda is horrible ultranationalism. Like, Horus Rico just seems to be empty. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's not I, saying yeah, anything. I, I, th- I think... Other than, hey, isn't it cool that these schoolgirls have guns and they can right. be sexy and shoot I think so, you're, I think you're, you're right. Like, there's, it's, there's not enough there to get mad at <laughs> almost. Maybe that I, like, is what it is. I'm not sure. It's just, it is a weird thing of like, normally when a show alludes to the horrors of the police state and then continues to endorse the police state, usually that makes me very mad because fuck the police state. I mean, that's the <laughs> yeah, thing though. They don't... Or it is deliberately down or ending. I feel like... I feel like they were. I I don't I actually think they were trying to say something, and maybe the Iro, this is your point. They 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 think they're saying thing, something, and they're not. Like, if, I, if I were to like, if I were to like define the theme of Lecaris Recoil, it's that like, yeah, bad stuff happens, but uh-huh. like there are things that you can still enjoy in life, right? Uh-huh. Like even it, if you it can't takes change, a lot. It, like we have to make a lot of sacrifices to preserve the peace, but isn't the peace great? But it's also kind of saying like you can't change the big stuff too. Like in even in the end, because I, I I don't think they are, attempt to p- depict like Horace is just straight up the good guys. Like that's that was what the whole action movie speech thing was, right? Like I and and in the end, the main cast does cut ties with like Horace and goes on the run, right? So 
I don't think they're necessarily saying that Lycoris is the good guys, and it's almost more like you can't change the big stuff. So I just... mean, ironically, in right. some ways, like Lycoris Rico's story almost feels like the conclusion of an actual proper cyberpunk story, of like the heroes recognizing that they are in fact like as individuals incapable of dramatically altering the status quo and then coming to the realization that if, if they cannot change the status quo, then all they can do is run away from it. Right. Yeah. Like, like, that is normally like the super dark downer ending of, Oh, the system is bad, but we cannot escape. Right. Instead, but I mean, if you were, he, if you were to compare this, yeah. if you were to compare this to say like, Akudama Drive. <laughs> I was uh, waiting the, for it to come up. The the heroes the heroes come to the conclusion that it is worth fighting even if they don't change it, right? Like they still make that stand at the end and sacrifice right. themselves. Right. Whereas, and, and in doing that, they they begin to dismantle the system. Right. right? They, like, they they right. The, the the moral there is that you should resist anyway because you never know what will happen, basically. You know, and right. it is still morally right to resist. And, and it, I think they're very much more explicitly saying that the system needs to be dismantled. Whereas in this, it's like, well, ah, what can you do, right? But I, yeah, oh, gun eye. Regardless, it's the I mean, the, the pieces like a... were the pieces were there to yeah. make something really great, and instead they made something that was like fun and okay <laughs> i mean it sounds like a completely vapid end to a completely vapid show quite frankly i think gee I, I think you and i are on the same page where i don't think it's really that vapid it's just like i maybe i just don't agree with what they were doing yes. with right because, like i i guess this the is thing, the difference a, a which show... is go ahead g I was going to say, a show that presents itself as vapid, I have no problem with. I love Black Lagoon, okay? Like, mm-hmm. that show is, like, nothing but a schlocky gore fest with people spouting action movie B, you know, B-movie, like, one-liners. Yeah. And that's fine, because it presents itself as that and is clearly having a hell of a lot of fun with it. Like, I... I wish like chorus recoil like if like chorus recoil was always going to be this toothless. I wish it had just it had just gone in that direction instead. Like fully but embrace they, the schlock. They but, bring but, up bi- they bring up big ideas and they keep bringing them up. It's not like they. That's a thing. Like if it would just shut up about I, its big ideas, I could accept it as a vapid show. But it doesn't. It keeps to the bitter end, wanting to get its last word in about the big ideas it has. But that that's yeah. the thing. If you bring up big ideas and don't do anything with them, that is vapid. That's well, nothing they're, special. I like, mean they're doing I mean they're I, doing I can, stuff. It's like we just don't like, like what they did. If <laughs> like, I quote Plato and Aristotle, that doesn't make me a philosopher, you know. Well, like I, I think I, I, what I'm trying I to say kinda, is that is that just gesturing at ideas is not actually exploring ideas. You and know, that's like, why I say I wish it I wish it hadn't gestured in the first place. Yeah. So uh, yeah, because it would have been I, free to free to concentrate on things like you know being cool or being stylish or stuff yes. like that. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're all kind of saying the same thing in just different ways, but yeah, um, it's it it's just weird. It's a weird feeling at the yeah, end of this. Of, of it is a like, shame. Like I, I kind of had it, fun, but also I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. Turns out money goes a long way, you know? <laughs> like, it turns out, like, having a really nice production does an immensely good job of papering over the, like, myriad, extremely obvious problems, you know? I mean, shit. 
this whole last episode, I was like, God, God, fuck this show. But then Mika, like, quadruple taps that assassin with a shotgun point blank in the chest. And I was like, all right, that's pretty fucking cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like one kinda. blast with a shotgun at point blank isn't enough for this assassin. I need to empty the rest of this tube into her to make sure she stays down. And uh, I guess on a final note, and shocking no one, those cowards did not let Takina and Chisato kiss at the end. Oh yeah, like it's God. Whatever, that's like one hundred percent. Birdie Wing, right? Will but again, one day and save us all. Birdie Wing <laughs> wins again. Yes, still anime of the year. No contest. I mean, I, I would mean, like to point out in Birdie Wing, there is a bazooka attack on a moving car, and in Cyberpunk Edge Runners, there is a bazooka attack on a moving car. Coincidence? <laughs> I think not. I mean, of course, recalls yeah. has bazooka attack on a moving car. Okay, like, yeah, really? but that doesn't play into my theory because it's. Well, true. <laughs> yeah. I think the real I, test, the real test, now also, you know, again, we've only watched the first two episodes of Edge Runners, but now the real test is will both Birdie Wing and Edge Runners go to space? Who who will make it to space first? Um, I'm going to say that Birdie Wig is more likely to go to space than Edge Runners. Yeah. Well, I, I unfortunately Birdie Wing is not back until January, I think. Right? But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I I was just gonna say the 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 Takina and Chisato not kissing thing. What I think was only amplified by the fact that the show did actually have two openly gay characters in there. But uh, right, yes. You know, they can't be the waifus. They can't. They be can't the be the waifus, waifus. unfortunately. Um, they can. They can only um, lift each other up in each other's arms as they frolic into the ocean uh, mm-hmm. at the end. Uh, but you know. Anyway, that show's done, and so is uh, this episode of the podcast. <laughs> so, I guess uh, when we're back, we'll be talking about new shows. Jesus, this is, monster of a fall is, season will have started well, we'll, by then. We'll also be talking about several of the shows that we talked about on this episode as well. So. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll yeah. see um, how that all works out. Yeah, but that's going to do it for this one, though. So um, let's hit our housekeeping. You can check us out at theglorioblog.com. Follow us on Twitter at theglorioblog. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher. And of course, you can check out check it out on YouTube, where you can like, comment, subscribe, ring that notification bell, all that good stuff. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. We'll catch everybody next time. Hideo Kojima should watch you die now. <laughs>